Hey everyone, you're listening to the Infatuation Podcast. Now, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but this episode definitely ranks up there for me. I got a chance to speak with actor Perry Young. You might know him as Father June on the HBO series Warrior. Perry was such a great guest for so many reasons. Number one, he's in a show that's really special to me, and I'll talk about that more in a second. Number two, he's a fantastic storyteller, and you'll you'll hear that from the get-go. And number three, he's an Asian American history scholar. And for those of you AAPI nerds out there, this is going to be a real treat for you. We talked for well over an hour, and I know we could have talked for several hours more. Warrior, the show that started on Cinemax and ended up on HBO, and now you can watch streaming on Max, is based on Bruce Lee's writings from over 50 years ago. The show takes place in San Francisco in the 1870s, and it shows some of the struggles that our ancestors faced in the early days here in America. I messed up and said that my ancestors came here in the 1950s, but what I meant to say was that my great-great-grandfather came over here in the 1850s, and my great-great-grandmother came as a, like a, I think she was 17 or 18-year-old mail-order bride a few years later. So props to her for having the guts to come out here without ever meeting her husband beforehand. Wow, that's kind of nuts. So this show, Warrior, is the first time that I've ever seen a show that comes close at all to showing what life was like back then for for my ancestors. So when I watch it, I, I can't help but think, was my family in the background? <laughs> you know, was my family one of those those people that were dealing with those sorts of things that they deal with in the show. Now, of course, my my ancestors were not kung fu warriors, but it still makes me think. And I love this show for helping me do that. Now, of course, it's it's there's some fictional drama layered on top of it to make it entertaining, but it's still based on facts and it's still based the the time period is is shown in a way that I've never seen before. So this is such a really, really special show. And we're in season three, which dropped a couple weeks ago. And purely coincidentally, this episode is going to drop a few days after the 50th anniversary of Bruce Lee's death in 1973. But man, he will he will never die in our memories and, and the impact that he's had for Chinese Americans and, and all Americans in many ways. So Perry and I would like to dedicate this episode to Bruce and his family and just all that he meant to us. So, you know what? That's enough of me. So it's time to get into our time with Perry, who is also a master craftsman and musician who plays the bamboo shakuhachi flute, which you'll hear in our intro today, as well as our outro. So as usual, we hope that you enjoy this episode and thanks so much for listening.
Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast, a show where we aim to elevate and highlight Asian culture and creators. Today we have a really special guest today because I started a list when I started this podcast. I started a list about two years ago. And one of the things I put on the list was I wanted to talk about Warrior because it's it's kind of an important show. And I'll tell you guys why in a minute. But I wanted to do a show on Warrior and I wasn't sure... If I wanted to just do me talking about it or maybe try to find someone, you know, I, I messaged Shannon Lee. She never got back to me, but so I, I threw out a couple DMs and no one got back to me until just recently I got a DM back from Father June himself. So today we are honored to have Oakland born and raised Perry Young with us. Hey, Perry, how's it going? Hey, thank you, Curtis. Thank you so much. Um yeah, one of the reasons, I mean, I love to promote our show and I really think it's an important show, like you said. And um, I don't answer all my DMs when I see <laughs> someone from the Bay Area. I mean, that's my home, you know, so yeah. I do um, I do love the Bay and I do think our show is important. But So thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Shout out to Oaktown. Yes, Oaktown. <laughs> and I like, to, I like to greet our guests in the Asian way. So it's about lunchtime over there. So I'm going to ask, have you eaten yet? You sick fun, man. Sick dola. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good, good. What do we have today? Leftovers? You cook something? Um, I had granola oh. for breakfast. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm going to have lunch after this, so uh, I might go to uh, Happy Hunan, a great <laughs> great Hunan restaurant by me. So, uh, Nice, nice. And then we're in New York City, you said? Yes, we are. We are on the Upper West Side, and uh, I, I like to think of it actually as the south of Harlem. Yeah, uh, we're right on the edge, so it's a really vibrant neighborhood. It's really, um, you know, it wasn't so safe when I moved in here thirty years ago, but uh, it's you know, like New York City. It's 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 a it's alive. It's an evolving character. It's changing, and it's a very different place today. Yeah, and if. If you if you listen carefully, you can see you can hear horns honking outside Barry's window. We got a little bit of a uh, strike and a demonstration going on, but you know, we'll... yeah, it's New York City. <laughs> yeah, there right? you go. Right, you know what? One thing I, I had over on the Upper West Side was Cuban Chinese food. Oh, uh, over yeah, by like special. by Columbia, right? Kind of Spanish Harlem yes, over there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, they are kind of a, a dying breed, unfortunately, but it's a really special place in New York City because of all the, the immigration that from Chinese, from the Chinese uh, indentured servitude boats uh -huh. to Cuba, and then the immigration from Cuba to New York City. Yeah. And these restaurants only exist in New York City and possibly in Florida. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. There's one that we go to all the time called Florida de Mayo. Mm. And uh, this, you know, it's just, uh, it's full of a lot of... Um, uh latino puerto rican people they love this sort of special mix and and so do we yeah yeah you got like the yellow rice with the chicken on top and the broccoli. oh that that chicken is amazing so and then good. they have this special thing this ink uh squid uh squid juice with ink uh -huh, uh -huh. fried rice it's a purple fried rice that i don't see in chinese quote you know traditional chinese restaurants uh, it's really good. It's, it's that Caribbean flavor. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So also, I also read that you got a BFA from San Francisco State. Yes, my old alma mater. Um, I, I studied uh, fine art when I was uh, in school oh, at San nice. Francisco State. Yeah. Nice. And then I um, minored in Asian American studies. Ah, great. Yeah, that, that was a good time. I mean, there has been some important things that happened at San Francisco State with ethnic studies and Asian American studies. So it was kind of one of the first Asian American studies programs, if I recall correctly. 
I think it was the first. I mean, yeah. Berkeley seems to claim to be the first, but it was <laughs> the SF State students that struck. Yeah, you know, for uh, the ethnic studies department, and you know, it's quite historical. You can read up and find, you know, if you Google it, all the uh, students who were striking. Um, it's it was it's also about solidarity because mm-hmm. it was the uh, Latin students, the Black students. And the Asian students that got together to form the ethnic studies department, and you know, there's pictures of cops beating them. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's pretty insane. I mean, one of my teachers who was um, Lorraine Chu, who was mm-hmm. in uh, starred in uh, Wayne Wong's films, uh, Dim Sum, was one of those students. Yeah, that was you know beaten, and she she wrote extensively about it, ending up in jail. You know, just because she wanted ethnic study classes. Um, so that's pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a long history. Have you have you seen the movie Chinatown Rising by uh, Harry Chuck and Josh Chuck? It, it's a small little not. indie. It's very small, but uh, yeah, they document that that era a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. When did it come out? Uh, it came out during the pandemic. So, but it, I I don't know if you can see it anywhere. It should be on PBS once in a while. You'll see it streaming on PBS. Okay. Hey, can we, can we dig into your roots a little bit? Let's dig in. All right. So uh, Chinese-American, I'm guessing. Yep, yep. Are, are you Toysan too? Yeah, Toysan. Um, my my father's from uh, a little village, the Young Clan, uh-huh, <laughs> a little uh-huh. village in Toysan. And uh, my mom's from uh, New Territories in Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. So I'm first, I'm first and fourth generation. So my great great grandfather immigrated and worked on the railroads and became a you know laundryman in Chicago, but I was the first born in America. You uh-huh. know, it's um, and I didn't really understand why, but until I went and studied Chinese American history, you know, it's like learning about um, the Page Act preventing Asian uh, women from coming into the country and the Chinese Exclusion Act mm-hmm. preventing. Chinese from entering the country. And so my my great-great-grandfather was never able to bring his sons until the lifting of the Exclusion Act and then um, the um, the quotas after that until 1965. Yeah. So it's like after four generations, I'm the first to be born here. It's pretty yeah, crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, I bet, I bet our ancestors bump shoulders once in a while because a similar history where I have a, a great-grandfather who came here and then couldn't get married because there weren't any women out here. So went back home. So my grandfather's born in China, but then my dad was born here. You know, they came back in the 30s, I think, maybe late 20s. And so, yeah, I, I bet the youngs and the chins, you know, bump shoulders <laughs> once in a while. Absolutely. And it's not very, and it's not uncommon, right? In Chinese to have this sort of breaking up of, uh, uh, our our lineage, our immigration lineage, because of the laws. So mm-hmm. everybody in Chinatown, I mean, very few of us had grandmothers, right? Because our our right. grandmothers could not immigrate, and um, and we all told the same stories, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like it's a sort of an unknown story to many, but to us in Chinatown, it's sort of a common story mm-hmm. to be removed, you know, several several generations. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say, are you first generation or are you technically fifth generation? You know, like, how does it work? You know, like, you yeah, depending, right? De- depending <laughs> on who you ask, right? The, the people who make the laws or the people who just came, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Oh, man. I, I think we're going to have fun today, Perry. <laughs> we're going to talk <laughs> right. a little bit more about this. Yeah. So a- as a kid, were were you were you at all? Uh, the actor that you are now, did you did you did you have a creative side? Did you have yeah? You, know, you you're a musician as well. Did you what did you do as a kid? Piano lessons or what? <laughs> what, what, what happened for you? Uh, 
Not at all. I was a Chinatown kid that was at risk, you know, in, uh-huh. in Oakland, Chinatown. And, you know, I was growing up in the 70s. You know, I mean, you know very well the the Golden Dragon shooting, uh-huh. the, the the gangs, the watchings versus the Joe Boys, all the stuff in San Francisco gangs. Yeah. And my cousin was in San Francisco, who you know, who immigrated uh, and then had to get out because they wanted protection money. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, that kind of, you know, um, Chinatown family. Uh, yeah. But I, I would say that I didn't, I, I was very creative being the youngest of the of three boys. You know, my parents like mm-hmm. kind of left me home uh, to be babysat by the television. So uh-huh. I found ways to entertain myself. But um, I was never formally trained in any of the arts, except for Shakuhachi, the bamboo flute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. We'll, we'll talk about the Shakuhachi in a little bit, but... Uh... So you're you're not exactly straight up gangster, but you're like one of those kids who's kind of you know hanging in the alleys a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. If you're a Chinatown kid in that time, if you were in a cluster of more than two and three, you were a gang, uh-huh. right? <laughs> yeah. it, it, and you you it was just your buddies and you going out and walking around, you know. But but just because you were you know an ethnic group clinging together for survival, you know. But but we could be seen as a gang simply because, you know, we wanted to stick together for safety because, you know, like growing up in the 70s in Oakland, it was not um, not that safe or, or yeah. we'd get picked on. There was tension between, sure. you know, the, the communities and things like that. So definitely there was safety in numbers. Yeah, absolutely. But then you, you become you go into SF State as a fine art major. So where did that come from? <laughs> Yeah, that that's very uncommon, right? And and mm-hmm. I would say that I owe that to my the openness of my parents. Um uh, they were just first uh they were immigrants, right? They got here, they're just trying to find a way to survive. They worked all the traditional archetypal Chinese American jobs. You know, my dad was a chef, um, a laundryman, a truck driver, and my mother mm-hmm. was a seamstress, mm-hmm. um, things, you know, and a babysitter. And they did things like that, you know, they they worked probably two jobs, you know, and 12 hours a day. And and thus I was, I didn't have that kind of, you know, um, helicopter parenting. It was the opposite. (laughs) Um, Like, like many of my friends in Chinatown, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, their parents are working very often. So the fact that I had um, the the luxury of deciding what I wanted to study was kind of amazing, you know, because some of uh, my parents weren't hands-on in the same way as uh many second generation um immigrants were lucky to have parents to guide them through academia and uh careers career future career opportunities my parents were like just work hard and respect the family you know mm-hmm. just don't shame us right right, you know? right right um and you know they i was lucky to see them work hard and, and still be able to enjoy their lives no matter how hard they worked they had a community they went to mm-hmm. dim sum every sunday they spent time <laughs> with their family they played mahjong every friday right. and saturday nights and then they worked their butts off Monday through Friday, you know, yeah. and um, I was lucky to see them um, enjoy their life, even though they were working hard um, and struggling as as the first generation immigrants. Yeah. You know, I, I got to I got to get some of those older folks on just to get their history on tape, you know, because they're they're getting to that age, you know, late 80s and 90s where you know they got the stories. But we got it. We got to archive this a little bit. We got to document it a little bit more. Seriously, there's a lot of stories out there. Right. I'm, you know, I don't know if you saw Allegiance with George Takei. Mm-hmm, I mean, that's mm-hmm. his story, right? To write yeah. the story of his family, you know, and get it on Broadway. That's quite amazing. And there's so many other stories. I don't know if you heard of this musical called On Gold Mountain. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, it's uh, uh, composed by Jason Ma. Um, 
a theater actor here in New York City, a friend of mine, and they put it up recently in Utah, Shakespeare Festival, and it's coming to New York. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's these people telling the stories of our ancestors, and we need more of that today, right? Absolutely. It's pretty clear that if we had more stories defining us as, and our history and legacies in America, that there might be less violence, you know, perpetrated upon our people. Or at least more understanding, yeah. 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 Hey, man, let's get into that. We're going to talk a little bit (laughs) about a couple shows that do a little bit of that. For those who don't know, Perry is an actor and musician. And uh, based on my little searching, you've been acting a little more than two decades or so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I guess you're technically correct, but um, it's been over three decades. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Uh, more More on stage early days. Were you doing more stage work than film? Definitely. When I moved to New York right after SF State, I, I was a fine arts music major and I just wanted to like start doing art as soon as possible. And um, I realized very quickly that everybody in New York City is just working to pay the rent. You know, that's like everybody I met was like, yeah. I'm just trying to pay the rent. And then yeah. everybody's living in a little box. And so I didn't have much room to make art. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try to make music. At least that way I meet people and I get to rehearse in someone else's place, you know? Right, right. Um, And then so I just started to audition for things. And I was just really super incredibly lucky that I saw this um, audition for experimental theater called Havoc in Gold Mountain. And it was a collaboration of seven Chinese-American artists using performance art, music, dance, theater, to tell the story of the Chinese in America. And uh, one of the um, the composer um, was Fred Ho, who was an amazing activist musician. And um, so I got into that production and everybody was like, oh, wow, you know, like, can you do this? Can you do this? And I and suddenly I'm acting, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I and uh, I got a paycheck. Mm-hmm. for being an actor and so i was like oh shoot i better like learn how to act you know <laughs> <laughs> and so um i mean i had really loved acting you know uh, watching you know some uh, like asian american theater company in san francisco sure. yeah. and but i i hadn't done any acting i had done some performance art as an artist so I, and, and music so I, I understood what it was like to be on stage and to perform but not necessarily as a as a um, classical actor with yeah. uh, text speech um a play so that started me off being in, a, in an experimental theater dance production. And, and then uh, people saw me like Tisa Chang from Pan Asian Rep said, oh, would you like to audition for the show I'm doing? And I went, sure. And then there was, you know, uh, then I learned some more chops um, for musical theater. And then, uh, you know, so things started rolling once you do one thing in New York City. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was 30 years ago. And um, <laughs> over time, I realized, oh, I better really study, study acting, you know, and I got, uh, but it was all theater. Um, It was all theater in the beginning. I had some people recommend that I try television and film. And this was early 90s. There was there was nothing out there for for, um, Asian American man, especially for me at the time. I had long hair. I was a rocker, you know, Uh I mean, if I had that look now, I'd I'd be working, you know. (laughs) So um, I, I went on some auditions. I got an agent. And, you know, after a while, it was like, I can't keep auditioning for these bus boys and and yeah. rick, uh, 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 rickshaw drivers for sprint you know television yeah. uh, television uh, tv commercials and it was all just bad stuff there was nothing yeah. um yeah it was you know the, the the best thing you could watch was a john woo movie right, right. Uh, hong kong movies right um i mean you know and then you know the most incredible thing happened um jason scott lee showed up with uh map of the human heart and um uh the bruce lee biop 
Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. sitting there in, in, in New York City in this kitchen and opening the New York Times uh, entertainment section for the weekend. And there were two full page ads. One side was for the Bruce Lee biop and the other side was for Map of the Human Heart. Wow. And it was like the first time I saw a leading man, like yeah. two full page ads on the New York Times back to back. And his was the same guy. Yeah. It yeah. was amazing. It was a moment. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've talked to a few folks. Do you, do you know Kelvin Han Yee? Have you ever worked with him? I know Kelvin. I love Kelvin. Another city boy, yeah. So we yes. we did an interview with him, and yeah, same era, right? He was just coming up, Asian American Theater Company, and getting some great roles on stage, but TV and movies, it was always Chinese gangster or, you know, busboy. Absolutely. Just... I mean, he was, he was the first Asian American actor. Actually, I'm doing what I'm doing because of Kelvin. Really, I saw him in in, in the Yankee Dog, You Die. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, AATC. Katana, yeah. yeah, Philip Katana, AATC in Berkeley, Berkeley Rep. Probably, I'm not sure. No, no, it was it was AATC presented in Berkeley in a small theater. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I went. I was in college at SF State, and I went. That guy looks like he's having fun. I mean, actually, it was uh-huh. Sab Shimono too, so it was amazing. Yeah. And I thought those guys are having way more fun than a fine artist painting on a canvas in a yeah, studio. Yeah. You know. And I thought. <laughs> How can I do that? But it seems so far removed from me because right. I was just, you know, I was like a, a kid, 19, 20, you know, yes. and, and here were these two guys, you know, being on stage and just being badass. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And and then at that around that time, The Great Wall came out, uh-huh. Peter, Peter Wong's film. Right. It was an indie hit. And and so I went, oh, man, Kelvin Han, he's a star, mm-hmm. you know? He's on the stage. He's in a. Yeah. He's on the big screen. I, I want to be like him, you know. Yeah. Um. But I just never thought I I could, you know. I just never thought I'd be that kind of actor that yeah. that he was. Um. And then when I met uh, Kelvin, just um, I actually met him in person because there was some gathering uh, of of uh, the Great Wall um reunion. Some uh-huh. uh, like an editor, uh, the scenic designer. Uh, they were in New York City, and Kelvin was there. And uh, I, I knew the scenic designer, uh, Wing Lee, and he said, "Hey, I'm uh, Kelvin's coming to this uh, dinner." It actually, was a director director for Father's Son, Patrick Chin. Uh-huh. He said, "Kelvin's coming to this uh, dim sum. You want to come?" And I was, "Oh my God, I'm going to meet my uh-huh. hero!" You know. Yeah. So that was that was like five years ago. Nicest then, guy too. <laughs> he's so fun. He's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, an inspiration, a big right. inspiration. For what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like he he still hasn't gotten that that total regular role that that you know that everyone's looking for, but he's just putting the work in, you know, and he's doing it. Well, you I'm, know, he might be on the James Hong track, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that, to have six hundred IMDb credits under oh, his man. name when he's ninety five. You know, I mean, I yeah. have, I mean, I have just so much respect for the uh, these unsung heroes, right? They're just behind yeah. the scenes. But I mean, Kelvin's bigger than that. You see him, you see his face, you know. Everyone's seen him, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And same with James Hong. A lot of people yeah. wouldn't recognize, couldn't, couldn't name him until uh, maybe everything everywhere all at once right. but you would say maybe oh that's the guy from blade runner you know big trouble it, little china yeah. yeah big trouble from little china david lopan you know i yeah. want those green eyes you know everywhere <laughs> yeah 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 So you, you've been on uh, a bunch of TV shows, too many to name, but uh, Gotham, Blacklist, Blue Bloods, and then one—I I feel like maybe your breakout role was was Ping Wu on on the Nick. 
Steven Soderbergh, right. like, amazing. Right. I I actually haven't seen that. I just found out it's on HBO Max, so I gotta I gotta go check it out. But uh, I saw a couple clips, and yeah, pretty <laughs> badass on that show too, Barry. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was my. So what happened was, I had uh, I did a lot of stage just to back up a little bit. I did a lot of stage. There was nothing for me in film and TV, mm-hmm. and then I discovered the f- Japanese flute, and then I went to Japan to study it, and sort of totally detracted from my my theater acting career. And then I came back with a child and I went, oh my God, I, I got to make a living, right? So I dropped <laughs> out of acting because it was just, I couldn't survive as an actor, but I could survive as a shakuhachi maker and repairman. So I did that and became the stay-at-home dad for 10 years. Hmm. And then uh, around 2013, I went, you know what? I'm really getting the itch for the stage again. So, hmm. but I can't go back to the stage because it doesn't pay enough. You know, uh-huh. it, uh, you know, if I'm yeah. going to spend time away from my family, it's got to like bring in some income. Yeah, and then I saw this audition for the Nick, and I went, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I auditioned, and lo and behold, they cast me, and I was like, uh-huh. oh my effing I'm god! On a show, yeah. <laughs> no, I had never, I hadn't even thought I was castable up until this time, you know. Mm. Um, but things started to shift. I started to, you know, um, Lost was on TV uh-huh. with Daniel Day Kim. Uh, elementary, Better Luck Tomorrow with Justin Lin happened. Netflix yeah. came. We started seeing original content. We started seeing uh, AAPI, NH faces that were like nondescript, that were not res- written mm-hmm. for Asian characters. Mm-hmm. Um, non-traditional casting and theater started to happen where we can audition for things that were not race-specific. So all that happened in the time I dropped out of theater, you know, and then I thought, okay, it's time to come back. And then I auditioned and got in the Nick. And let me tell you, I was really super lucky to have a friend, Cole Sutter, who was a theater, a film and theater actor, who said, dude, you know, um, let me help you with this audition, you know, mm. because auditioning for film and TV is so different than, mm-hmm. audi- than mm-hmm. performing for the stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned right away at that first session with my friend Cole, he was like, whoa, take it down a notch, take it down a notch, yeah. you know? <laughs> You're <The> projecting. Cameras, your <laughs> camera's right in your face, you know, you just uh. got to whisper. And, and uh, you know, you know, inside voice, inside voice, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, because of him, I got the I got the call back, and I had driven to Maine for a summer vacation, and then I got the call back. I'm like, holy smoke! Should I drive back to New York City for callback? It's an eight hour uh-huh. drive, you know. Uh-huh. And um, and my partner then said, you know, I wasn't gonna do it, and uh, because like I, you know, I've been in plenty of callbacks, and there's uh, yeah, like twenty right. people there, and you're like, oh my right, god, right. you know. Because it was going to cost me money and time. I had to rent a car and all this uh-huh. stuff. And uh, anyway, my partner Morris says, "Well, if you don't do it, you'll never know." Uh huh. You know. And I went, "Okay, here he goes." You know, rented a car. You know, drove back to New York City. Spent a night with my friend Cole, who then tutored me for the uh-huh. audition for the for the um, uh, callback. Did the callback, and it was like, okay, the very typical. Thank you. You're great. You hear from us or not? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, drove home. And it's driving home going, you know, I just wasted, you know, $200 on this car rental, <laughs> gas, you know, missed yeah. my family for two days on this vacation. And then I get pulled over by a cop, you know, for speeding. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> Another 300 like, bucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is just a, a effing waste, you know, like I'm going to get, you know, and I'm going to get a point on my, my driver's license. <laughs> it was just a big waste of time. And then I got back and the next day they called and said, uh-huh. Stephen wants you. Uh-huh. I literally screamed and yeah. you know into the phone, and then the person on the other side was laughing. You know, my my <laughs> Mora par- 
comes running up. What? What? What is it? What is it? I said, Steven Soderbergh wants me. You know, and she goes, hold on, hold on. You know, the person on the other side of the phone said, we got to get the okay from the studio first. But I just want to let you know, you're Steven's number one. I was like, oh my God, I even, if I got there, that's a it win. was just like, it's a win, you know, <laughs> yeah. considering I had just not been acting for 10 years, you know? Right. And, um, and then the next day they called and said, you have a lawyer we'll be sending the contract you know <laughs> i just like i just couldn't believe it was happening uh, yeah. neither of us my, my partner mora who's in the uh, uh, theater artist also and dancer was just like this is that moment uh-huh this this is that moment in your that life where your life point. changes you know yeah um That's and it was it was that, and you know what the whole time i was shooting i just was shitting in my pants because i was like <laughs> I did not. What know am what I, I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, like, like I, I understand how to how to behave on stage. I understand the craft of stage acting, but I didn't understand the camera. I didn't understand a lot of the um, yeah. da, uh, jargon of being uh-huh. in front of the camera. You know, and I, I didn't understand the the hierarchy, the pecking order of these these assistants that would come and say, "Okay, Mr. Young, come with me now." It's like, well, mm-hmm. where are we going? You know, <laughs> you know, like, well, they're switching cameras, they're turning the camera around. You know, and it's like, what does that mean? It's like, you know, I just didn't understand how the set works. Oh, they're gonna take three shots. I get it from different angles. I get it. So, but um, yeah, I look at the Nick, and it was basically where how I was born. Yeah, on, on my my film career. That's that's my birthplace as being yeah. a, a television actor. I, I look at like wow I've I've you know I had a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that goes to show you you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, did that translate? Did did you ever hear from like Justin Lin saying, "Hey, I I saw you on the Nick, and that's why I need you as Father June"? Like, <laughs> no, no, that never happened. Okay, and, um, okay. I, I still we got like for Warrior. I had seen uh, this was around 2017, right? That mm-hmm. when I first, or possibly 16, 2000. So I had done the Nick in 2014, and when I saw a Deadline uh, uh, article, Deadline is our industry uh, mm-hmm. website about acting and pr- projects. That uh, Warrior was announced, and it said by the by Justin Lin and the daughter of Bruce Lee, uh-huh. Shannon Lee. Yeah. I went, oh my God, I got to audition for gotta this no matter what. That. I yeah. got to, this This would be the <laughs> the best thing that someone like me could land, right? Absolutely. And so um, I, I, and I called my manager and said, look, when they start auditioning for this, I I, I will audition for anything. Mm-hmm. I will, any role, whatever, one line, I will do it, you know? Right, right. And, um, you know, of course she goes, okay, I'll let you know. And so, Late 2017, you know, over a year year later, I, I my manager says, "Here's here's a call for Warrior. They want to see you as um, the head of this notorious Tong Father <laughs> June." I went, "Whoa! It's an actual role. Yeah, it's a recurring role. Yeah, and you know, the the breakdown was um, Father June, 60s 60s to 70 years old, shock of white hair, milky <laughs> eye, you know, uh, leads with an iron fist, you know, and, and, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not me. Right, right, <laughs> but, not yet. You know, but, uh, <laughs> but hey, if the casting agent accept our submission, I'm going to, I'm going to audition the hell out of this role, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, it was a difficult role to audition because it was basically two monologues and, you know, sometimes, oftentimes the monologues are much harder because you're not feeding off the energy of the reader. Yeah, or yeah. or the other person just to have to show like the sort of choices you're making and mm-hmm. um relationships and 
things like that. So when you do a monologue, you basically 100% present your idea. And it's kind of nerve wracking. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so I went into the audition, I remember pretty clearly, <laughs> you know, because that, you know, I like to meditate, right, right before these things, just to clear the plate, you know, and uh, that morning, I was right after my meditation, my Mora goes, hey, aren't you taking Sasa, our oldest son, to his high school orientation? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I got to go to this high school orientation, deal with all of that mess right before this audition. Uh-huh. And uh, the high school orientation was scheduled at 10. My audition was at 12. I was like, oh, my God, I might just make it. So it went late. It was going late. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I got to start, like, chill again. Um, uh-huh. So we get we get out. I put my son in the cab to go home. I get in another cab. I go downtown. I get into the um, Alexa Vogel's, Vogel's um, the casting agent's office. I run in there. I'm like, I have, like, three minutes before my call. I'm, like, <laughs> sweating. And I went, okay, I got three minutes to meditate. And as soon as I closed my eyes, her assistant goes, oh, Perry Young, are you ready? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to go. And I was like, of course I'm ready, you know? Uh-huh. So I go in there and uh, they go, great. You want to just start? You know, here's the camera and mm-hmm. go. And so I do my monologue and she goes, turns off the camera and goes, okay, just stop what you're doing. They want someone really grounded. Just just stop what you're doing and and try it again. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I, I thought I wasn't I'm doing bombing anything. bombing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to be chill. You know, maybe yeah. all that all that tension was showing up on my face from being late, from being uh, at at the um, my my son's uh, orientation, so I said, "This is my moment, man. This is my moment." I turned around. I said, "Okay, give me a second. I turned around, turned away from the camera, and I went, "Be like water," uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. This is this is this is Bruce. This is Bruce speaking to me. I got to channel him. Yeah. I turned around and I said, "This is my moment." And I did the monologue, and she went, turned off the camera, and went, "Great." Let's do the other one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I did the other monologue and she goes, that's great. Yeah, well, we'll see you around. We'll let you, you know. know. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you know. It was very like, they say that to everyone, right? You have no idea what's going to happen. Right. They have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. They're just going to send the tape off to Justin and Jonathan Tropper and Shannon Lee, right? They'll, they'll uh-huh. look at it and go, who's Miss, Who's Father June? Um, and then I went on vacation again. You know, I went to Rhode <laughs> Island. We were there for a week and it was going to be Memorial Day. And I knew I was going to hear from the casting uh, agent for like four days because it was a week, a long weekend. And then on that fourth day, uh, I got a message from my manager to say, call me. I went, <laughs> okay, this is it. I was driving back to New York from Rhode Island. I pulled over the car with the family. I called my manager and she goes, they want you for Warrior. And I was nice. like, I screamed in the car again, you know. <laughs> And uh, my family is just like, oh, this is how it happens, you know? Yeah. Um, And uh, a month later, I was in South Africa filming. They filmed in South Africa. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our set, our Chinatown set, everything. The whole production is filmed in Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a back lot called Cape Town Film Studios, uh, Film film Production Company Studios. It's a big studio just like Paramount or um, Universal Studios with a lot, lot of back lot streets and and the airplane hangers for the for the interiors they film other television shows and movies there and uh they built a chinatown nice yeah they built a chinatown for us yeah yeah so i don't know if anyone out there has not watched warrior but we're talking about hbo well was cinemax and now it's hbo uh show about chinatown in the 1970s and it's based on, so I guess the story is that Shannon Lee just found like 30 pages of notes from her dad, Bruce Lee, 
about his concept of this dude, kind of a wandering warrior from from China, comes to America and has to deal with racism and gangs and all this stuff. And it's uh, Andrew Koji is the, is the lead in this. And and Perry plays the lead of the Hapwei, Hapwei Tong. And he is the, the father. Well, he he was the lead of the gang. Uh, he plays uh, Father June, who's the father to young June, and it is amazing. It is just an amazing show, and and I uh, my roots go back to San Francisco in the nineteen, I think late nineteen fifties is my when my ancestors came over. So when I watch that show, it just it makes me wonder like. Was my was my great great grandma walking on those streets? Was she getting her her laundry kicked over by the Irish? You know, or or what what was it like? And I I know it's it's a drama, it's fiction, right? But it makes me think, you know, what what was like? And and I think that if if anything, that show at least does that to show that we were there from the beginning. There's people who've been in this country for 170 years. Right, right. Let me make a quick correction. I think I heard you say 1970s, but it's oh, 18, oh, 1870s. <laughs> right, right. So basically, the, the 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 writers do a lot of research. They have assistants to do all the research, and it's pretty much factual what happens in our show in terms of events. Um, but you know, the story is dramatized. Sure. But you know, the, the we you know the first episode mentions the Chinese Exclusion Act three right. times, and what you know that's real law that those Chinese people our ancestors were worried about right yeah. you know and and the um yellow peril uh time um that was started by these politicians it's real it's yeah. it, you know our show dramatizes how they were yeah. like let's pit the chinese against the irish to see who's going to work for less so that we can make more money yeah. you know and it was yeah. basically how politicians and capitalists work together to um pit the lowest rung of the latter immigrants against each other so that capitalism yeah. can flourish. You yeah. know, so our show captures that part of American history Absolutely. that is quite true. And that's, I think, a, a large part of our audience, you know, that um, loves our our show because of the his, historical accuracy. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a period piece. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of people, you know, write on my DMs all the time a, 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 or my feeds, I never knew that that's how America started. And now it makes a lot of sense, you know, yeah. that why we're still uh, villainizing Mexicans and Muslims and Sikh people, you know, yeah. it still makes a lot of sense yeah. that uh, that they're taking our jobs. You know, yeah, that yeah. that that's the that narrative. slogan, <laughs> that yeah. political slogan has never gone away. They're taking our jobs. Yeah, right. that's where it starts with the Chinese and the Irish. Yeah, there the was literally a, a politician. I think I think it was Kearney who who said the Chinese must go. That was his, that was his political, wow. yeah, that was yeah. his statement. It, like that's his platform was the Chinese right. must go. Yeah. Right. I mean, War Warrior is, is an incredibly um, educational, uh, powerful educational show aside from its entertainment value. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, it, it creates a lot of dialogue. You can mm -hmm. talk about all aspects of this show. Why were there no women there? Why were there women in brothels? All those are because yeah. of racist laws. You know, mm -hmm. when you go back to the Page Act, pre preventing Asian women from coming into the country, where at some point, I think there was some, I, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but to every, you know, 100 men, there were only two women in Chinatown, you know? So yeah. it's like, and they were and they were the wives of the business owners. So all these other women had to be smuggled in for the, you know, nefarious reasons, you know? Yeah. And um, 
But we should be able to talk about that clearly. Why was that? Why were there brothels? It wasn't because, you know, Asian women are prostitutes in general. You know, they were kidnapped, you know, to, and smuggled into America mm-hmm. in the same way that all the Chinese indentured servants, I mean, were fooled into signing these uh, indentured servant contracts, not knowing what they were saying because they couldn't, most Chinese were illiterate at yeah. the time, yeah. you know, so like we should talk about what capitalism does to 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 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this yeah. show does that in a very entertaining way. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's incredibly entertaining. Like even like the fight scenes and the drama around it. But yeah, there's there's those subtle nods to history. Like I think uh, we did a show. We well, we talked a little bit about Cameron House in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which was a you know Presbyterian woman, and and she kind of created a safe haven for the women in the brothels. And they they show that in the show a little bit. They don't name her Donaldina Cameron, right. but they show right. that a little bit. But that's a historical figure. That's that's real, right? So so it's, it's things like that. These these um these details on our show that that makes our show rich because if you do know the history, you know there was uh, uh our character Nelly represents that woman who who yeah. um, liberated a lot of the the Chinese prostitutes. Um, and that house is still in Chinatown today, right? And it's yeah. an art center. I think it's a yeah, community, community center, center, right? Which is amazing. So I, I saw um who is it a local choreographer in san francisco lenora lenora lee maybe mm-hmm. she does a uh, asian american dance modern dance and she had a production in that house that was moving around the house where you could be see different kind of tableaus oh. of dance happen in the house quite beautiful work wow. i think her name was lenora lee um but yeah that house i'm, I'm glad that house is serving a purpose in chinatown mm-hmm. yeah uh, but uh-huh. i want to touch back on something really simple that you said uh, quickly is that that story of Warrior that Bruce Lee wrote down, his idea actually was uh, appropriated by Warner Brothers to be Kung Fu of the right, 70s with David right. Carradine. David right? Carradine. It's the same story, although Warner, Warner Brothers denies it. I mean, it's in the book mm-hmm. from uh, 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 Bruce's Bruce Lee's wife, uh, Linda Lee. And mm-hmm. she mentions that, you know, how she pitched it to them and they said, no, thank you. You know, and it's also in the Bruce Lee biop, right? Like he pitched yeah. it to the studio and the... Um, the actor who played, who, I forgot his name, Wagner, uh, who plays sort of as manager says, you know, they're never going to buy an Asian as a lead. Um, hey, 50 years later, yeah, Andrew finally. Koji is that lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that she kept the vision alive. She kept that fire alive, you know, was able to 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 leverage it and get get someone like Justin Lee famous for Fast and Furious, you know, you had to build your name somewhere. I have so much respect for Shannon. The way that she's shepherding her father's legacy is so amazing. It's so full of heart and love, and it's actually reaching a whole other um, generation that may have only heard of Bruce Lee but have not felt his power. Yeah. You know, so yeah. now they do. Yeah, yeah. The cool, cute. They have a new mural in Chinatown with her dad on it. So it's all uh, in three good, Chinatowns, man. you know, one in LA and one in New York City, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, they were all done in conjunction with the opening of uh, season three and I think the 50 year legacy of his death. Uh, uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Father June. Um, how would, so I, I want to hear from you. How do you describe Father June? Well, when I first read, the words, right? So I have to base my characters as an actor. I just have to like see see what who this person is that they wrote and see if I could find that person in me authentically. Mm-hmm. And the lines were told me um that he was a revolutionary. He was an mm-hmm. activist. You know, he he created the most powerful tongue in Chinatown to 
to prevent the violence of right. the ducks upon our people. That's what he stood for when he uh, indoctrinated Assam in, into the hopway. Mm-hmm. He said, this is why we do what we do, is to protect our people, right? Because one thing our show also shows is that there's a, there's riots in Chinatown. Yeah. They have burnt Chinatowns down. You know, Seattle, Los Angeles, the mining yeah. massacres. You never see that stuff told on television until sure. our show, which is quite yeah. amazing. So Father June is a revolutionary. So when I read the lines, I went, you know what? There's, I don't know, there's a, a monologue that was cut out, right? That That's where Father June tells his history. When he was in China, he fought the opium wars and he mm. stabbed this British soldier. And when that soldier um, um, stabbed, what was it? There was a line, I can't remember. He And I pulled that dagger out of my um out of my eye, right? That's where he oh, got the white I eye. <laughs> I pulled that dagger down out of my eye and I made him eat it. He was a soldier, but I was a warrior. Uh, you know, so they cut that scene out. That. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it told the history of Father June. So uh, he had fought the opium wars. He came and he saw he saw and um, the oppression of the Chinese. So he wrote, you know, he fought, he was fighting systemic uh, um, racism. And, he, and so I thought that, he's a Chinese version of Malcolm X. He's my Malcolm X. He does it for the people. And he's saying by any means necessary, you know, I'm going to protect my people. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I based my character on. So in doing research on Malcolm X, I found that he was quite a caring guy. That is Uh not the narrative that we hear about Malcolm X, right? You know, the white media paints him as a separatist and violent but um, if you read up about him, especially I, I came across writings by Yuri Kochiyama, the Japanese-American um, activist who was his friend. Uh, she said that when she held, held these meetings, activist meetings in her apartment in Harlem, that Malcolm would come by once in a while and everybody was like, oh, it's Malcolm X here. Malcolm X is here. Mm-hmm. And then when they would talk to him, he was the most kind and humble mm-hmm. guy. Hmm. So so that says a lot about who's telling the story of history, right? Yeah. yeah. And that made me think about I have to portray Father June, going back to your original story, as a guy that cares about his people. He's mm-hmm. not just this notorious leader of the most powerful gang in Chinatown. I mean, I think a lot of people could play that in a flat way. Sure. You know, but but why? Why is he that way? And for me, it's because Malcolm loved his people and huh. Father June loves his people. So if I have that in me as an actor, I could bring that color to the character. And when I tell young June that he has to consider his brothers, that if you're going to go out and fight, we don't want to lose any of our brothers in these fights. So think more carefully about waging war, mm-hmm. you know? And so I want to bring that humanity, that sort of compassion and into the character to make yeah. him somebody that maybe people would root for. Yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to just the antagonist, just the villain, that we want Father June to succeed for those reasons. Yeah. And I, I think I think you see that too, that you're not just the caricature of an Asian dad, you know, like this the hey, why you didn't do this? You know, you're not that guy. But you're <laughs> you know, you're you're well, the there leader. is tough love. There is yeah, tough love right? with Father June. I, I am that guy too, also. Sure, but, sure. But 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 underneath the why didn't you do that is because if you don't, you're risking the lives of your brothers. You know, I have to feed that into them. You know, the reason why I'm hard on you is because our success depends on your choices. Our people's lives and livelihoods and safety depends on your choices. That's mm-hmm. why I'm hard on you. You yeah, know, so yeah. I want that to come through. 
Huh. And, and, and it's kind of funny when people write on my, my posts like, dude, you remind me of my dad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would only say lucky you, man. You know, right. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. It's know. funny. I was going to ask you who inspired your character, but I did not expect Malcolm X to be the guy. <laughs> Do you have no. any other? Did you draw on your own dad at all? Did you draw um, on you know anyone else that for you know? I, I did. I did. I draw. I drew on my own dad because, you know, I was lucky to not have the typical just kind of silent, stoic, patriarchal Chinese dad. You know, my, like I think I mentioned earlier, my dad knew how to enjoy life. You know, he was an immigrant. He quickly adopted American culture. He bought his 1954 Rambler, whatever it was, used, you know. He had a cool car. He had sunglasses. He bought the suit. He, You know, he looked like Roy Orbison sometimes, you know. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I thought, oh, my dad was cool, you know. He liked, you know. <laughs> and, you know, he would listen to the Beatles and Elvis in our right. house next right. to Chinese opera. So, my, <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah. my house, my influence as a, uh, musical influences are quite um, eclectic. So I, I looked to my dad in the sense that he kind of knew how to have fun sometimes too. And um, But I also based him on some of the archetypal, stereotypical dads that I saw in some some of my friends had in Chinatown. You know, like my friend had a, China, a store in Chinatown. He had a grocery store and his father sat at the front as the patriarch and he would just smoke cigarettes and he would just grunt at his kids. You know, mm-hmm. and like, okay, that's kind of Father June also, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think as an actor, I, I always try to bring humanity to the characters so mm-hmm. that even if he's written as a sort of a, a trite archetypal character, that I can show some humanity, um, a wide range of our people in him. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene or a favorite monologue? Well, actually, I think I think the first one of the first scene when you meet Father June, mm-hmm. I think that's my favorite monologue, where I, where I put a psalm in his place and I tell him to bow to me because he's nothing yeah. but an, a, a f-ing onion, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and that he should learn how to bow. That that monologue was also cut short because you know I sort of interrogate him in the original script. I say, well, who did you study with, you know, mm-hmm. and he will say so and so, and I was like, oh. Oh, you studied mm. with so and so. Oh, so that's why you think you're such a badass. Uh-huh. And then I come down on him, you know. <laughs> so you know, like I understand that they explained to me the editors and the the showrunner because I'm sorry we have to cut the scene because you know we can't let things get too long in the opening scene yeah. uh, the opening yeah. episode. We want to just give a, a quick splash of these characters, what they re- what they represent, yeah. and and then like move on and we'll and we'll explore them later on in the other episodes. But uh, I love that monologue because he just, it's a nice little speech and he just puts him in the place. And it, and it kind of gave Father June this sort of oratory, like kind of quality. Yeah. Like he's Shakespearean a, almost. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and he's a preacher, mm-hmm. you know, and, oh, and yeah. it kind of, and it kind of gave me the Malcolm X, um, in, you know, uh, image of that he could be sort of given a sermon right now. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah. So the end of season two, however, you know, there's a little bit of a coup d'etat where here's where uh, young June, your your son, kind of kind of usurps your power and and gets the loyalty of the troops. And once you lose the loyalty of the troops, you're kind of out. And so you kind of kind of ride off into the sunset, which is kind of a cool <laughs> scene. It, it's it's still dignified. It's like what six in the morning or something. You're kind of sneaking out, right? And you're walking away. What what are your thoughts on that? Are are you uh you have any uh, fun fun theories on where you're headed? Well, they're all spoil. I don't want to give away any spoilers here. Um, uh, it's yeah, a big, of course. It's yeah. a it's a big big spoiler, right? What happens to Father June? Okay, and I, okay. And I, I think this season, it, um, 
this season, when does this, when do you air this? Uh, when will you publish this? Oh, podcast? this will be maybe next week or so. Okay, next week. Well, so what happens is there's a big reveal today oh. on today's episode. What happens okay. to Father June? I got to so, catch up. <laughs> yeah. So we, so no spoilers. I, I, All right. Yeah. 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 I can't no, talk don't... about it. But um, talking about walking away, that scene was um, the, the writers didn't. How do I say this um, humbly? <laughs> was that I think they 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 saw that, that a lot of fans liked Father June and they didn't want to kill Absolutely. him off. Absolutely, fan so, favorite. <laughs> so Father June was supposed to die in season oh, no. two. <laughs> yeah. So, but they didn't know they didn't want Father June to die. So they they yeah. just played it open like, okay, we'll just have him walk off, and that's a good yeah. good way. And I yeah. think after that, they didn't really know what was going to happen with season three. <laughs> you know, when we left, there was going to be a season three and then HBO was sold to Time Warner. Then we uh, lost season three. So that's tragic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we just thought that was that. And then when we got greenlit with season three, because it got s- sold again to discovery and a new heads, uh, you know, or an old head, Casey Bloys of mm. uh, HBO said, you know what? We released season two during the pandemic. It found a huge audience on HBO Max, yeah, uh, and people people they liked the show, and then there was a huge cry from the fans, uh-huh, right, from social uh-huh. media. There was even a group, uh, Chinatown Organization for Media Awareness, who took out a one a full page ad in the Hollywood Reporter because the HBO sent out a, a press release that says we support Asian American Pacific Islanders in this time of the pandemic while they're being attacked. Uh-huh. We support them, and this one full page ad called them out and said if you support aapi community renew warrior yeah right yes <laughs> so all of this was happening at once and the jonathan tropper was in conversation with casey blores and he said hey if you ever want warrior back i'm sure the we're here <laughs> the cast will be happy to do it and he said are you sure and he goes and next thing you know i got a we all got a phone call from jonathan tropper saying hey if i get season three back are you on board i was like f yeah you know <laughs> and uh, he goes okay but you know i think i don't know what the contract's going to be it's already expired you're going to have to have a new contract i just want to make sure everyone's coming back in order mm-hmm. for me to say yes we're going to do this so you know we all came back because we love each other it's such a tight yeah. family you know i've never had that kind of experience with a, with a television um cast yeah and so we got we got season three and now the writers went okay now what do we do with father june <laughs> <laughs> we don't we didn't know that yeah. whether you know, we hadn't resolved it uh-huh. but but uh if you watch and you watch season three and 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 you follow father june's arc and and journey i think you'd be amazed and you'd be like kind of blown away by what these writers the the creativity the vision yeah. of these writers and what they saw for father june and yeah. young june and what yeah. it says about father and son relationships especially mm. asian on right. tv and so I think they just blow it wide open, blow it out of the water, and I nice. can't be um, more proud and inspired by by our writers. And these writers, on uh, on the most part, are not Asian. You know, uh-huh. they're they're you know Jonathan Tropper, uh, Josh Stoddard. I mean uh, Evan Endicott, and, and there are other writers actually. Black woman, uh, Francisca, who Asian woman. I'm so sorry, I can't say all your names right now. <laughs> but but there are yeah. women of color. You know, sure. and, and in the past we did have Kenneth Lin in season one and two that were Chinese American. So we have these white writers that are allies. They're on our side. They want to yeah. see change. Yeah. And Warrior is happening in a time of change, which is very different from previous shows that just kind of used Asians, use our culture as a background to further their story. We now have today over 10 episodic scripted television shows that centers Asian 
American yeah. Pacific Islander, yeah. Native Hawaiians as a story. Right. You know? Right. So it's quite amazing. And we have an Oscar winners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? <laughs> More than one. And, yeah, yeah, Michelle just... Yao, Kihui Kwan. I mean, oh my God, you know, like these I are, mean... it, this is an Asian American movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's Asian American. I mean, yeah. I mean, so was Minari. Before that, it was what? It was uh, The Last Emperor. Yeah. You know, in the 1980s. The Last Emperor had nine Academy nominations, none of them for acting. Right. What did that say? What does that say yeah. about systemic racism? You know, yeah. institutionalized yeah. racism. No, that was a good night. Oh. That was so amazing. And yeah, I mean, it's a good time. I, I mean, I, it's, we're not there yet, but American Born Chinese got on Disney. We have, you know, like so many good shows coming out. Absolutely. And, be in front and behind the camera and you know we're just we're seeing so so many good things and yeah there's there's you know i counted them off the other day there's like 10 shows yeah scripted shows yeah you know censoring yeah. asian american voices it's incredible that's very I never thought time. i'd see this day absolutely yeah no we're, we're about the same era so yeah when when joy luck club came out we thought that was going to be a turning point we were like oh now that you know the doors are going to be open and then nothing for 30 years you know it's it's really bizarre, isn't it? And and I think we can probably like, um, if somebody examines uh, economics and the political spectrum, we can see why that is, you know. Yeah. But I remember I had a meeting, uh, a class when I was doing my Asian and uh, Asian American minors. There was a class called Asian Americans in the Mass Media. So this was the uh, mid eighties. Uh -huh. It wasn't a whole lot to yeah. talk about, you know. Yeah. You know, Connie Jackie Chung. Chan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, uh, Jackie Chan, um, maybe uh, Year of the Dragon, you know, yeah. um, maybe, maybe, maybe Year of the Dragon. Yeah, it was, it was right around that time. So there wasn't a lot to talk about. But uh, now if we had an Asian Americans in the mass media, there's quite That's a lot so to talk much. about, right? Yeah. And I remember yeah. representation wise, you know, like the Year of the Dragon. I don't know if you recall that film with John Lone mm -hmm. about uh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke was a, was right. a racist cop. There was an Asian woman who was helping this racist cop. And then John Loam was like the gang, the, the Tong leader. And um, it did not cast a good light on Chinatown. You know, yeah. all the Asians were gangsters. Right. Except for the Asian woman. And she was having sex with Mickey Rourke, of you know. And yeah. Everybody <laughs> yeah. was, you know, the, the community was boycotting it. The Asian American community. Mm -hmm. um, I think Cam Media, you know, at that time was boycotting mm -hmm. You're the Dragon. But the, the weird thing about all of this is that representation-wise, to see John Lone as a leading man on the screen was still empowering. Still something, yeah. You know, because Hiro was this incredibly handsome man who was incredibly gifted as an actor. And he was just doing his thing, you know. But mm -hmm. it might have been the wrong message. But it was like, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a little problematic. But his charisma, his talent kind of jumped out. Yeah, at all of yeah. us, you know. I as forgot like, about John Lone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was the last emperor. Yeah, you know, oh, he went man. on to do that, right? Yeah. Oh man, you know, you know who I want to get on the show. I'm going to try to manifest this. I want Tamela Tamita on the show. I think. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was the a... first for me when I saw her in Karate Kid too. She was the one, man. I was like, oh man, these, you know, this OG, OG. She yeah. is OG. I mean, she's been around. She's seen it. She's done it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
Oh man, we could do this all day, but I think we gotta, <laughs> we're bumping against the clock a little bit here. We didn't talk okay. about, you know, I was I was gonna say you're you're involved two ways with the show, Warrior. You're also on the soundtrack with your uh, Shakuhachi. How, how do you yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Shakuhachi, Shakuhachi. Okay, yeah, it's but a it's Japanese a, flute, Japanese yeah, like a, flute. And you take a bamboo down to the root, and you kind of hollow it out. Four yeah. holes? How, how many holes we get on that? It's got five holes. Five holes? Finger, five finger holes. Uh-huh. But you can play uh, all the sounds, in the as, as the Buddhist monks would say, you could play all the sounds of the world in that five, in those five holes. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And, and you've been doing that for over 30 years too, huh? Uh, but I got my grant to go to Japan in 2002. Okay. But I was making flutes by 93. So 30 years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was making flutes for 10 years because I saw in a show I was doing at La Mama Theater called Oedipus the King, there was a, a musician in the pit, Yukio Suji, who was playing the Shakuhachi, among other things. It was, it was, experiment, it was an experimental theater production with a, drums, guitar, keyboards, and then like a Japanese flute, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I heard the sound of that flute in the silence of the theater, oh my God, it just uh, changed my world. You know, uh, it just kind of like made you think about the world reality uh-huh. and it's one of those instruments it's like maybe it's like a voice that you hear sometimes in the middle of the night and you go oh my god what is that voice it's so that's haunting, what that flute yeah. did it's haunting and it just opens up your mind and your heart at the same time to go there's another reality mm-hmm. so that musician obviously is an incredible musician yukio suji um uh so because of that i started to make my own because you know at that time i was pretty much a starving artist and i couldn't mm-hmm. afford to buy one mm-hmm. and this was pre-internet so you couldn't just yeah. buy a shakuhachi <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't google either because there was no google no internet you can watch youtube <laughs> nothing nothing except a recommendation that uh, he could say well you can go to this house of a teacher and he might have a few flutes and then you would have to buy a flute from him and then you would have to study with him. And that could be a good thing or it could be not so good if, mm-hmm. the, if the flutes weren't good and the teacher wasn't good. So mm-hmm. depends on your luck. He goes, but the only way to get a good one is if you go to Japan with, uh, and go to the house of a maker with a player uh-huh. whom you trust so that the player can choose a flute for you uh-huh. um, because they're all handmade and some flutes are duds, you know, and some are mm-hmm. incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I I started making and then I got a grant to go to Japan and that changed my life. Like I mentioned earlier, I, it just detracted my my acting world, uh, took me away from it. And then my partner and I um, conceived the baby in Japan. And when we came back, uh, Morris said, "Well, somebody's got to get insurance, you know, because we like <laughs> we were like both artists. Yeah, we yeah. never had insurance, you know, mm-hmm. like many New York artists. We were just living right. hand to mouth and paid paycheck to paycheck." You know living the life and when we had a kid we finally went okay so she went to grad school and I, I was a stay-at-home dad and at that same time the internet came about and then i realized oh i could actually make a living off this because people are sort of like finding me you know mm-hmm. and um and, and it was a another world that i entered and i became a part of and i thought i would i said goodbye to acting I thought I was going to become this sort of monk <laughs> with, uh-huh. with, with bamboo flutes in the uh-huh. in the studio because it's like the opposite of the acting world. The shakuhachi is you're alone in a room with a sound mm-hmm. um, and and a craftsman and you craft with your hands, you know. But the the acting world is you're meeting and rubbing shoulders with all kinds of frenetic energy yeah. all day long. Yeah, with with PAs, with catering people, with makeup, yeah. hair, lighting, grip 
the director, the writer, you know, and all you're these never people. Alone. <laughs> like, you're never alone. And all these people have their own agendas and they need something from you. And you, you know, you have to you have to like run away and hide and meditate, you know, before you go on camera, all that, you know. So um yeah, so that just it changed my world. And uh, the funny thing is when I at the end of my stay that first grant in Japan in, in Japan, I did a show with these two Buto dance legends and my Shakohachi teacher, Kazu Ono. And his son Yoshito Ono. So I sort of put the Shakuhachi and performance art together in that production. And uh, uh, George Kochi, who was uh, head of the Asian Cultural Council at the time in Japan, came and saw the show. And he said, "Wow, Perry, you're doing something very unique. You're doing um, the bamboo flute, and then you're an actor. Like one day, those two will come together in, 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 a, in a very incredible way." He saw the future, <laughs> and and that day was in Warrior when the when one of the showrunners with uh, Justin Lin's company, Perfect Storm, Daniel Woodrow. I'm not, I'm sorry, not showrunner, but producer, Daniel Woodrow, super wonderful woman, said, "Just asked me out of the blue while we were filming." She goes, "Perry, I saw on Instagram you make flutes. Can you tell me about that?" And I was <laughs> like, "Well, it's a whole other world. You know, it's a very different world from this. It's it's I, it's just not related, you know." And she goes, "Well, well, well tell me about it." And uh, I went to um. I thought, send me an email. So I sent her a recording I did and I put it put the shakuhachi flute on top of a hip hop drum track because I thought, oh, maybe she was interested in hearing it on Warrior. Uh -huh. So I did that and she wrote back, uh, whoa, I never heard I've never heard anything like that. It's, it's quite, mm -hmm. quite amazing, you know? And that's that was the extent of the email uh, chat and conversation. Um two weeks later, on the next episode of warrior she wrote they wrote in that father june's playing a flute <laughs> the character so yeah, perfect one, yeah if you, you'll see father june playing the flute right before the two tongs go to war uh -huh. and you know it's sort of a conjuring you know a conjuring yeah. of the spirits you know and i went whoa i didn't think she would have me playing the flute uh -huh, on, on uh -huh. screen and so when i started to when i was actually playing the flute uh they had me record uh off camera some 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 bits that might fit better, you know, in case that, because, you know, when you're shooting, you're just cutting, cutting and shooting. Like they wanted to have a little, um, you know, two minute section that they could maybe edit together for the film. Um, and so I did that. And then they got back and went, hey, we really like this. And we're, I hope you, you know, you don't mind. We're going to use just bits and pieces throughout the series. <laughs> and so they did that throughout season one and two, um, just based on that improvisation I did. But for season three, they wanted me to actually play the score under a specific scene, wow. which was incredible, again, for a first for me, which I can't give away. So I played the flute under a scene. And then as I um, so I specifically went into the studio with a producer to record that. And it was a real, again, one of those moments of marrying two careers. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I never thought I'd see this day where I marrying two different <laughs> worlds, you know? It's, yeah. it's 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 it doesn't get better than that man it's like it's like you know basically it's a dream come true in warrior and you're getting paid to do it <laughs> <laughs> just icing on the cake you know I, just icing on the cake yeah i bet you'd probably do it for free if they asked you <laughs> uh you know i, I would i would because yeah. it's just spreading the joy of of art you know it's yeah. just spreading art oh man that's a good story Hey, can you can you send me a little something? I can play it here on the on the recording. Of course, of course. Um, I'll send you the track that I sent, uh, Daniel Woodward. How's, how's that? Yeah, that'd I'll be awesome. I'll send you that track. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Hey, man, we're running out of time. But you got you got like two more minutes for a lightning round. Of course. All right, let's do this. So we got we got Perry Young here, Father June. So let me ask you a couple questions here. Who's killed more people, Ping Wu or Father June? 
<laughs> it's a tough one. It's a really tough it's one. Tough. But I, would, I would say Ping Wu because Father June actually hands it off to them. He, he delegates. You know? Yeah, delegates. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Besides Father June, who's your favorite character on Warrior? That's a really tough one. I know. <laughs> They're like your That's children, a really right? Tough one. I love them all. But I, you know, I, I love them all. And, and I want to say this is only a subjective sure, opinion, sure. right? I love all my actors. I think that um, it's a toss up between Olivia Chang and um, Diane Dorn. Nice. You know, they're, they're yeah. the two women, the two powerful women. Yeah. So, you know, it's just going to be um, a toss you bow to see who wins that one. <laughs> <laughs> Both, uh, we'll call it a tie. <laughs> yes. I have no, I have no problem with that. Hey, uh, where's the, where's your favorite place to grab Chinese food in New York City? Oh my God! Okay, uh, another hard one. <laughs> yes, um, Kanji Village, Kanji Village in Chinatown, nice. East East Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. You go with the Yao Tu with that too. You get the the greasy donut. Oh, you do. You get the Yao Tu with the joke. Yeah, I mean, you can get everything. Very classically Chinese Cantonese flavored. You can get the uh, salted fish fried rice. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get the eggplant salted fish chicken. You can get yeah. the Chinese ginger broccoli beef. They're sort of like, you know, the staples, right? But yeah. they do it so authentic that you feel like you're at home. How, mu how much does a bowl of jook cost you down there? Oh, man. Prices have gone up, man. I know. Uh, I think it's about $7 now. What? It uh, used to be like two bucks. <laughs> I know, right? Right? Absolutely. It's just crazy how much has gone up. All right. Hey, what, what show is uh, Perry Young watching these days? Well, I just saw ABC. Nice. thought it was fantastic. Amazing, thought it was fantastic. Right? Uh, my friend Leonard Wu plays the, the Ox character in it. You uh -huh. know? Um, I read that book to my kids when they were uh -huh. young. It was a little above them at the time, but I just thought it was fantastic that this graphic novel was out there. So, Yang, you know, yeah. so great to, to watch. I binged on it. Yeah, no, it, it's it's done so well. And creatively too, because we had, we had Jin Yang on and he's like, he didn't want to do a movie with it because of the Chinky character. He was like, how am I going to put this character on screen? And it's, you know, it's supposed to be offensive and it's supposed to be every bad stereotype. But they, they found, found a way to do it. Yeah, they found a great, great way to do it with the Kikui Kwan's character, oh, right? They found a great way to do it. Yeah. You know, because I, when I first read the book, I just thought, also, oh, that, 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 that's, oh, that, that character is like painful, right? Yeah. But it has to be done. You yeah. Know, it has to be told because I right. was there too. You know, any other Asian in the room, you're like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, uh -huh. and especially uh -huh. if that Asian is like a more recent. You know, fresh off the boat. You know, we would say an, an onion, a warrior. Uh -huh, if that, if uh -huh. that, you know, then you have to like stay. You know, keep the distance, right? Right. That's 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 a, you know that's unfortunately how um, that's a systemic you know internalized racism, right? Yeah. No, but they did a great job with that. All right, and just to add some spice, not to lose you any friends, but uh, what's the best coast, East Coast or West Coast? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm the best of both worlds. All right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, my my friends here say, "Wow, you're a really mellow New Yorker." But when I go back to California, they said, "Man, you're really uptight these days." Too intense. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm never. I don't feel. I feel like I'm right in the middle. I'm more intense than I was when I was just from California, and I'm way more relaxed than a lot of New Yorkers I know. <laughs> but let me tell you, you know, I, I, apples and oranges. You know, right. Oakland, yeah. home of the Black Panthers. So much has happened, you know. Yeah. And in New yeah. York City, the dance yeah. theater. It's like any you can reinvent yourself. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I, I you know, it's another Chasu Bao right there. <laughs> All right. And our, our signature question is we ask our guests who their infatuation is. Infatuation <laughs> is anyone in the Asian community that you admire. It could be living or deceased, someone you know, or someone you admire from afar. So, Perry Young, you've named a lot of names today, but you got to pick one. Who is your infatuation? It's got to be Bruce Lee. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah, the goat. He, he changed my life and continues to change my life. Yeah. Right? Like, like he was there in the beginning when I was a kid, gave me confidence. He was there when I was in school and I read about his philosophy about, you know, yeah. you know, like, be like sharing why? the beauty. Yeah. And be sharing the beauty of the Chinese culture. Right. Yeah. When Hollywood w- wouldn't let him do it, you know, because that's all I want to do is share the beauty of the Chinese culture. I don't want to play these gangsters and, mm. and stuff like that. And then today when we see, when I realize how much Bruce Lee is a unifier, still a real hero. Still, yeah. Right. Still like he has unified. Like when you look at our fan base, there's a lot of black people who love warrior. Uh-huh. Right. So, uh-huh. I mean, Bruce Lee understands that solidarity and people, yeah. you know, so he's still a hero. He's still a big influence in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, shout out to my friend Omar, who he's the one, he's a Latino guy I we used to work with, and he's the one who told me about Warrior. I, I didn't even know about it. So, Omar. Yeah. Omar, it, thank you so much. <laughs> it's still unifying, you know, it still, it still speaks to anyone who's been othered, anyone who's on the outside, anyone who's felt a little stomped on. You know, and, and, and he did it. He did it in the most beautiful way. Because everybody who mentions, "Oh, I love Bruce Lee," Bruce Lee, it's like I, that's it. I love Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like regardless, when we we're in South Africa, and I would have a Bruce Lee shirt, I would see people from all walks of life, whether they're like you know poor black on the streets or rich black, you know, or poor white or rich white. All of them would say, "Hey, I love Bruce Lee." Uh-huh. What does that say about his art and the, yeah. and the you know humanity of this yeah. this this person? Man, I, I love that you channeled him on your audition, too. That's just per- so perfect. <laughs> and there you go. He saved my life there again, you know? <laughs> He's still around, man. He's still yeah. alive. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Perry. That, I, I appreciate this talk with you so much. I had so much fun. Thanks, Curtis. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, everyone out there, go watch Warrior. If you haven't caught up, I, I got to do a little catching up, I, I guess. We got some reveals coming soon. We won't spoil it, but uh, yeah, that's amazing. So uh, thanks so much for your time. And hey, have a have a great afternoon and, and a good lunch. Thank you for having me on Infatuation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Father June, Perry Young, Ping Woo. So great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? Yep. Thank you. So that just about does it for this episode. What a great chat with Perry Young. And of course, you can follow Perry at Perry Young Official on social media. And if you want to know more about the flute playing, you can visit his website, youngflutes.com. And go watch Warriors Season 3 on Max. Well, it used to be called HBO Max, but you know where to find it. And it is so far just jaw-dropping, the fight scenes. Everything has gotten better and better. If you watch this show, it has gotten better and better every season so go check that out and if you want to message us you know how to get a hold of us you can always follow us on infatuation podcast on facebook or instagram or you can write us a good old-fashioned email on infatuation podcast at gmail.com and of course please follow us and like us wherever you get your podcasts whether it be spotify or apple Podcasts or google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts And as usual, thank you so much for listening. And on behalf of Perry and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye, everyone.
Thanks again. Bye. a wrap thanks man that was great thank you curtis thank you that was wonderful i had a lot of fun no i literally could do this all afternoon <laughs> <laughs> i know i know you know we don't get a chance to really like be in community right like yeah but but you know big props to you for doing what you do because that creates community ah uh, thanks man yeah that that's where you know out of the pandemic just sitting here in my basement i was like what can i do you know with all this going on and it's like well let's put some voices out there let's talk to creators Right. You know, let's get some, uh, some positivity awesome. out there. Yeah. Absolutely, man. We need positivity. We All need right. positivity. Yeah. We do. It, it, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we can be fourth, fifth generation and still feel like we're outside, you know, still feel a little bit like we're not quite mainstream. You know, and we have to kind of address why that is. Yeah. Right. Really, there's, there's a reason why that is. And we have to just hit that thing with a hammer. Right. Yeah. Um, as long as we all agree as a community, that's the thing we should do. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, our community is quite uh, diverse. Right. Doesn't yeah. always agree on what the thing is, you yeah, know. It's hard. Yeah. And the ones that call it out will say, that's the one that makes us more American. What are you talking about? You know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of infighting. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you see it in the black community also, you know. Yeah. But um, but we we have to find a language and find a reason like to unite. You know, and that that's kind of my my dream and goal is is like how do we find the language to unite ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um Yeah. Baby steps we're getting there a little bit yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are definitely getting there. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks again. Have a great lunch. And uh yeah, next time you wanna come on, let me know. You're you're welcome here anytime. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? If you if you watched all seasons and you want to do a quick recap, and you, if you have a more idea what you want to talk about with Warrior, I'd be happy to jump back on. All right, yeah, you know? hey, I'll I'll take that anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe when maybe when we're announcing season four, we'll. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, that would be lovely. Uh, well, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> all right, Perry, have a great time. Thanks, Curtis. Talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.